0: I tend to go a little long well okay i tend to go a little long well it's good to be here with you this morning it was very refreshing to hear all those songs it honestly took me back to my dad when he used to lead the singing at our church in texas so very special morning thank you i get choked up quite often so if don't think anything's wrong with me it's just an adverse effect of my passion for the Lord, which is not always a bad thing. I, at our church in, in Missoula, it's technically in Missoula, but um, Frenchtown area is really where we mystery. We've been in a series uh, going through Revelation lately. With everything that's going on in the, earth, in the world, uh, it just seemed fitting. A lot of people were kind of talking about this and that Mark of the Beast in the Times, and I thought it would be really good if we went through Revelation where we would know what we were actually looking at, what know what we were to expect, and really focus on what we could know. And in the midst of that, this last week's sermon, I just thought I would take a chunk of that and, and just share it with you uh, this, this week. It's chapter 19, and it's kind of past all of the scary uh, judgment-type stuff, but embedded in that chapter, in the first part of it, is something that we are all, all, all believers, um, can take hope in. We can take refuge in. Can give us a reason to be excited about um, witnessing to people. And oftentimes, we God, we we hear that God calls us to be witnesses, right? And uh, we have to evangelize. And, and honestly, I was thinking through this the other day. What does a witness do? Just tells the truth about what he saw about what he experienced, about what he witnessed. And um, I want to walk us through the first part of, uh, it's actually verses 6 through 10. It's not much of uh, Revelation 19, but it's going to focus on the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm just going to read it here. Of course, to give a little bit of context coming out, or coming into this, We've witnessed in chapters 17 and 18 of God overcoming the uh, Babylon the Great, the great prostitute. And the world system is really what it's talking about there. I'm not going to go into all that. But we're seeing the result of the world system right now played out in our world. And the good news of the first five verses of chapter 19 is, is God has overcome. But as we look at verses uh, 6 through 10, I'll just read it, and then we'll go back and recap. And I'd encourage you, if you've not studied the book of Revelation, uh, it's intimidating. It is scary to some people, but it's the only book in the whole Bible that offers a blessing to those that read it and keep it. So I'll just throw that out there. But in verse 6, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Embedded in that is a meeting, it's, it's an occasion that is going to happen someday. We don't know when, but it is coming. If any of you have ever studied the, the ancient uh, Jewish wedding process, uh, it's very elaborate, it's not like these days, where somebody meets, somebody falls in love, um, they eventually get engaged and then there's a wedding. That's kind of the typical process, but I wanted to take that subject of the marriage of the lamb or the, the marriage supper of the lamb and uh, just kind of walk you through it. because uh, I believe that God fashioned the ceremony, the wedding ceremony in the Jewish culture after his plan for salvation for his church. You see, in a Jewish wedding ceremony, in the process there, you have, first of all, the choosing of the bride. In the Jewish culture back then, they would see somebody, they would notice them, whether they were just a hard worker, whether they were pretty or not. A lot of times, sometimes they didn't even meet ahead of time, but there was a choosing of the bride. In 1 Peter 1, I'm going to go through a lot of verses, so if you want to turn over, that's fine, but um, in 1 Peter 1, verse 2 it says here according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood may grace and peace be multiplied to you there we see a picture of God choosing his bride and we as the church are his bride the next pro- step in the process is the price of the bride it's kind of uncommon these days to see any uh, any groom or potential groom go to the future father-in-law and say, well, how much do you want for her, right? That's, that would almost seem offensive in this day and age, but in that day and age, the, the daughter had a value in the family because she probably uh, usually had some sort of uh, activity or, or a role in the family business, and so for... That groom to take the future bride away from the family, it cost the father something. And so there was usually a a price agreed upon by the the groom and the, the bride's father. Further down in 1 Peter 1, we see in verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed. From the feudal ways inherited from the, your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver and gold but with the precious blood of jesus christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot so we were chosen by the foreknowledge of god and the price that he was willing to pay was his own life the shedding of his blood we also see in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We have been bought with a price. If we are believers in Christ, we've been bought with a price. The next period, it gets more complicated and more involved as time goes on. Uh, There is a betrothal period, and this period of time could be any length of time. It is also when there is a covenant made between the man and the woman. If you remember the the story of Joseph and Mary, and uh, before little baby Jesus came along, there was Joseph and Mary, and there was a covenant, a betrothal period started with a covenant, and, and they are considered to be married at that point. Unlike my wife and I, when we got married in December of 93, that started, that was the beginning of our covenant. It's like I would have asked her to marry me and we would have made a covenant and then a year later we would have a marriage ceremony. But in that day and age, in ancient Jewish culture, um, it would have taken a divorce. If you remember Mary becoming pregnant and Joseph was going to have to divorce her to be able to be separated from her. So there's this is that period. And and here in Second Peter um, Verses 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 4, um, we see one element of the Jewish marriage ceremony, and that is that the bride or the groom is bringing gifts to the bride. When that covenant is made, the time frame isn't even set on, on when the, the wedding day will be, but there is an exchanging of gifts, not just the gifts to the father and the family, but also to the bride, and brides like gifts, right? But what we see from the Lord in this snapshot, this picture of someday this wedding ceremony that's going to happen, we get to see um, a snapshot of that here in verse 4 of 2 Peter 1. It says, By which he has granted us, granted to us, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So there's this betrothal, there's this commitment, there's a promise that is made, a promise that will be fulfilled. In Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Oddly enough, you would think back in the day of arranged marriages, you might even, uh, you might be surprised to know that the bride actually had the ability to give consent to the marriage. And in the church, as God is choosing us, we have the opportunity to to accept that and to receive that. In John uh, chapter 112, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He calls us and we have the opportunity it's just, to me, it's beautiful as we see all of the steps. It's not just this magnificent wedding day that happens and we know we're the bride. But all this time he's pursuing us. All, of, all the way through history he's been um, planning on us being there. Knowing that who his bride was going to be and, and laying out uh, his covenant and remaining faithful to us. We have the cup of the covenant. This is a cup that when the original covenant is made, they share a cup of wine. It's to kind of celebrate and agree that this wedding is going to happen someday. And then you have, like in Passover, you have three cups. And the second cup uh, at the Last Supper is the one that Jesus shared with the disciples. And he says in Matthew 26, 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's that future promise. I don't know about you, but with everything going on in the world, I'm looking forward to that day. It's been a bit stressful. Uh, It's been a bit disheartening to see where our world is going. It gives me hope. That there is coming a day when he's going to return for his bride. I got a little ahead of myself with the whole gifts thing that's that's coming now there's a gift for the bride i mentioned it (laughs) earlier with the bridegroom something to help them remember him by it's like nowadays we give uh, the fiance the the wife the wife to be an engagement ring right she wears it on her her hand. she gets to look at it and It sparkles, and she goes, oh, wow, that that guy that I love, he gave that to me. But the interesting part about this is these gifts, what is it, why is it having to remember him? You know, what's the purpose for it to remind her of him was because he would go away. And so these gifts that he's going to give her are to remind her of him. In Ephesians 2.8, we're probably very familiar with that passage. It says, for by grace you have been saved faith and this is not your own of your own doing for it is a gift of God that gift of salvation it, it started whenever you gave your life to the Lord it's not yet complete it's it's going to be fulfilled once everything once our Savior returns for us but also in Acts 1 4 through 5 we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus promising that gift. It says, while uh, staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And if you know much about the Holy Spirit, you know that he gives an account of the promises of Jesus. He reminds us of the things that Jesus said from his word. He gives us uh, kind of a foreknowledge of things to come. He's there to remind us of who our Savior is, who our bridegroom is. I know, guys, there's a wedding coming and we're the bride. That's kind of a weird thing to wrap our minds around, but don't focus too much on that. But we had that gift of the Holy Spirit that is there to remind us of his coming. Then in the Jewish tradition, there was a departure of the groom. Why did he leave? Well, he had to go back to his father's house and build a dwelling place for him and his wife. You see, he would, he would, that's where he would take her um, on the wedding night to be able to consummate the marriage. And that was going to be their dwelling place. And so the groom would leave his bride-to-be or his bride... I guess that point of the covenant, they're married. And he leaves to go prepare a place. And the the whole thing is, is he really doesn't know when he's going to be finished until his father says, okay, you're done. You're ready. Then you can go and get your bride. In John 14, verses 2 through 3, it says, In my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In John 16, 5 through 7, it says, But now I am going to him who sent me. Oh, I just lost my place. To him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the one that he sends to us to remind us of him, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so here we see a picture of the bridegroom leaving the bride. He's, ascended in, he's uh, going to ascend into heaven and to be with the Father. until I really learned about the Jewish wedding, I didn't really fully com- I remember those, memorized those verses when I was in Iwana as a little boy, but I didn't fully comprehend the, the picture that is painted there until I learned about the Jewish wedding ceremony. Matthew 24 36, he said, but concerning that day, an hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the sun, but I love how God ties everything together in the pictures that he in the, in the traditions of how he taught his people to live their lives and then even in his word as it's revealing him pursuing his bride, the church when the groom leaves in a Jewish wedding it is at that point that the bride would then consecrate herself A consecrate, that's a big word I think we know what it means but ultimately the bride is to set herself apart she is married at that point she is married she is set apart for that bridegroom she is his and it is her uh, her time to be a chaste virgin a chaste bride set apart also living expectantly i don't know about you did anybody look forward to their wedding day you brides maybe and that's one thing that men have a hard time understanding is, is the, the lady has been planning that day since she was a little girl you know guys were just happy that somebody wanted to marry us you know <laughs> <clears throat> but ultimately this is our role this is where we're at right now as the church As we find ourselves sitting in, which I'd have to say this is a really cool building. I love lock homes. But a church is not the building, it's the people. This is where the body of Christ is sitting right now. The bridegroom is gone. He's up in heaven preparing a place for us. Sitting there with his father, waiting for his father to go, okay, now's the time. And we, this is our role, we're supposed to be set apart sanctified. Sanctified that was always that churchy word that that I thought meant we've got to be perfect. Right? One of the definitions of the word sanctification is set apart from profane things and dedicated to God. So that's our role as the bride of Christ in today's world until the return of our bridegroom is to be set apart consecrated, holy. In Titus 2, my green light just came on. I better hurry up. In (laughs) Titus (laughs) 2, verses 11 through 13, it says, for for by the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how we are supposed to be living. Supposed to to put all of the ungodly things out of our lives. Listen, I'm not going to disagree that sin is fun. Right? If it wasn't, we wouldn't indulge in it. If it wasn't, we wouldn't be tempted by it. But God says, put all that stuff aside. Get it out of your life. Ephesians 4 says... Putting off the old self and renewing the spirit of our mind and putting on the new self. This is how we're supposed to live as we wait on our bride, our bridegroom. The next stage in the whole process is the return of the bridegroom. In Acts 1, verses 10 through 11, it says, And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in the white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming again, guys. And isn't it good? I think there's an aspect of our world that makes us uh, (coughs) hell from it because there's so much evil. And there's that part of us that just longs to be away from that because once we're saved we realize what we're meant for and that that blessed day in the future when when our savior comes that's the day we're to be looking forward to first thessalonians 4 16 through 17 says for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then he who, uh, we who are alive, you who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're going to meet him one day in the air. That's going to be weird. I don't, I've never flown just by myself. You know, But it's going to be awesome to be united with the Lord in that wedding supper of the Lamb. And ultimately, that's what the culmination comes to, Revelation 19, 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He will come. Revelation 19 goes on to say that we will actually join him in battle. It's an interesting story. I encourage you to read it. Ultimately, what is what is the message here for us, the church today, is that we are a bride waiting for her bridegroom. It's said at the end of, uh, of of that passage in chapter nineteen. Wait for the not the end. Uh, verse eight. Into verse eight. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Are you ready? That brought me uh, in my mind when I was reading through this over to uh, Matthew 25 in the parable of the ten virgins. You remember that one? Where there's a, a wedding feast that's going, that they've been invited to. The bridegroom is going to come at some point, And they were heading to go meet the bridegroom. But there were five that were foolish and five that were wise. And the five foolish didn't bring oil for their lamps. But the five wise did. And the oil in that parable symbolizes the Holy Spirit. It symbolizes five that were saved, that were sealed for the day of redemption, and five that were not. And because the bridegroom had been delayed a little bit, they fell asleep. You know, a lot of people would say, Jesus has been waiting a while. I mean, the disciples thought that he was going to come back in their day. And here we are in 2020. He still hasn't come back, We're like any day now, Lord. But we don't get to call those shots. We don't get to decide when ready is ready and when time is time. But these, these 10 virgins, they fall asleep. And all of a sudden, comes, someone comes in yelling that the bridegroom is coming. And realizing that the five realized that they weren't ready, that they didn't have oil for their lamps. They actually asked the five that did, could we have some of your oil? And it almost sounds cruel that they say, no, go get your own from the the merchants. But the symbolism is those virgins couldn't give the Holy Spirit to these ladies, to the other five virgins. They had to get that from the one that offers it, the only one that can provide it. And so when they finally came back with their oil, the door had been shut. The time had come. And the message at the end of that says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I, I can't assume that everybody sitting in here is a believer. Just can't. I know for twenty-eight years of my own life I sat in churches just like this, professing to believe in God. And I didn't really know him. I went through religion. I went through head knowledge, but not heart knowledge. And really asking Jesus Christ to come into my life and save me and transform me. That happened when I was 28 years old. I've been to church my whole life. So there's no guarantee for me, the the guy that's here for one day, out of the whole year maybe, unless Lloyd goes, yeah, I guess we'll get you back. (laughs) That, That I will know whether you're truly saved or not. So there's two messages here. We're waiting. How are we living our lives to where when he returns, we can be found ready? And if you're not a believer today, the message is don't wait. If you know that you believe in him and that you love him and you want to be his, don't wait. Because we don't know that. Things in this world right now, they seem like anything could happen really quickly. I think as pastors, and even as just fellow believers, we feel that. But that would be my encouragement to you today. Let me pray for us. Father, we just come before you today. And as we hear about this exciting moment that's going to happen someday only when you know we look forward to it we either look forward to it expectantly and excited or maybe we sit here today and we don't really know you and we look forward to that day in fear i pray uh, this morning that wherever we find ourselves sitting here in this this church building this morning that you would just reveal the truth to us of, of where we stand with you and that if we need to get something right that we would do that if we've been dragging our feet on giving our lives to you and receiving you as John 1 said receiving you as our personal savior so we could be a child of God I pray that no walls would stand in the way of us making that decision today. And I pray for the rest of us who who are faithful followers and children of God, that we would examine our lives and really take to account how we're living. Are we ready? If you were to return at any moment in our lives, would we be excited and and joyful that you found us the way you did or, or would we be and wishing that you'd waited. Lord, regardless of how we find ourselves today, help us to be obedient and responsive to your Holy Spirit's leading as we leave here today. God, ultimately, this whole story, it doesn't speak of, of fictional things. And it doesn't speak of a mean-spirited God. It speaks of a faithful bridegroom that has given up everything. You paid the ultimate price. You said, I'll pay whatever it takes. I'll give it all for my bride. Thank you for that. Help us to live our lives not in a way that we try to earn, our salvation but that we would honor your sacrifice we love you and we pray in jesus name